If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As you do so, say a quick prayer for my hair, because I didn't bring a hat, which I normally have in case this happens, but it's really hot in here. I sweat it a lot. So hopefully it isn't getting in my face, because I, I got made fun of a lot whenever I'd preach, and I would like be running my hands through my hair too much, and people would notice that. So, you know, if I do, just don't say anything, okay? You can be nice about it and like just ignore, yeah, just ignore that my hair is a mess. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3, before we get into it, I have just a few quick announcements. First announcement um, is Escalate, so I haven't talked about it in a, long, in a minute um, because we had some plans kind of move around. But Escalate, for those of you who don't know, is our weekend discipleship weekend. If For anyone who's new in here, for seventh graders, we have a lot of new faces in here that have never done Escalate, this is the one thing I would encourage you to come to. If you're going to come to one event, I know everyone's like, oh, I want to go to camp. Forget about camp. Come to Escalate. Escalate's my favorite event every single year. So we move the dates around a little bit. So it's going to be the first weekend of December. So December 3rd through 5th. Yes, we move the dates. We move the dates. I'm sorry. This happens every year. Don't act like it's weird, okay? This happens every single year. So what happens whenever you have a 26-year-old dude running your youth group, okay? I can't keep a calendar. I don't know what a calendar is. Yes, third, fourth, and fifth. All right, so mark that in your calendar. Be planning on coming to it. It's going to be an awesome weekend. And then, huh? Oh, I don't know, probably six. That's when we normally start it. We'll figure that out when it comes. And then Parker reminded me of this because he was wearing, focus, Parker reminded me of this because he was wearing a Riverstone Students hoodie. And I always forget to say that you can buy stuff. If you want to buy Riverstone Students stuff, you can look at Parker's hoodie. He's not wearing it now because it's too hot in here. He was our billboard, and we messed it up. Um, but I'll put the iPad back there. You can also, if you're new, if you haven't, fill, if you haven't gotten to know us yet, you, there's a Connect card that you can fill out on that iPad. But you can also um, go to the Riverstone Student Store and get some, what is it called these days, merch. Go get some merch. Because, um, yeah, Parker came in wearing that hoodie, and I was like, I didn't know that anyone bought that hoodie. I didn't know that anyone had done that. But anyway, those are our only two announcements. We are back in Ecclesiastes in Chapter 3. We're plugging along through this book, but last week, we kind of saw something significant, and to an extent, the, we're not really, we have quite a bit of road to cover in Ecclesiastes still, um, but last week was kind of a big, kind of a big deal in this book because while, the, while it wasn't exactly the most cheery thing ever, um, we see some, posi- uh, some positivity from Solomon. We see from the very first time in, I believe, verse 24 and 25, we see that he essentially says that there's nothing better for a person. He should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. And he says, this is also, I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So for the first time, we see Solomon kind of like finding some sort of joy. This whole book is kind of a buzzkill, right? It's just an, it really is. It's like, a, it's, it, can be, it can be depressing at times. But last week, that was like the hinge point of this book. That's where everything comes back for Solomon is that all this, everything around him is vain. Everything he sees, vanity and all this stuff. But he's like, if we would just find enjoyment in God, like we can find purpose in, in, in enjoying God. Now, the rest of the book is not going to be super cheerful. It's not like a turning point necessarily. And even tonight's text isn't all that cheery. However, we're going to see a perspective change from Solomon a bit. We're going to see him where he moves from this, uh, this sort of this position where he sees that nothing matters at all. And then he, th- he remembers, he's like, oh, wait a second. If I serve the Lord, like I have purpose, I have something to be striving towards. We're going to see this perspective change. And in my estimation, that perspective change could be kind of summed up in five words. Now I'm going to, this is very, 
very much a generalization. I'm about to say that. Actually, it can't be summed up in five words. But as I was reading through it, I just kept this phrase kept coming to mind, and it was control what you can control. If you're a, if you're a sports person, if you're an athlete, or if you listen to people's post-game interviews for sports, you will hear that phrase over and over again. Just control what we can control, right? It's a, it's a cliche. And like I said, it's a little too simplistic. That's probably not what Solomon was thinking, but that's how I saw it. That's how it kind of helped me as I was studying through this text. Solomon has realized the vanity of all these pleasures he was chasing, but the aha moment per se isn't an aha moment that really changes a lot in his life. It doesn't actually like fix a lot of stuff. It's more about him seeing the big picture and specifically acknowledging his inability to see the big picture. Where he sort of comes to this point where he's like, okay, well, I guess I can't control all this stuff around me. I can't control how, what we're going to see tonight, the sort of tyranny of time, how time never stops. He can't control that. So he's like, I might as well enjoy the Lord. I might as well find purpose in the Lord. That's why I like that phrase, because it kind of brings me back to that's the mindset that Christians should have in their lives. So if you guys ever played the game Mad Gab, you guys know what that is? Mad Gab? You guys never played Mad Gab? This might shock you, but whenever I put that in my notes, I did write an explanation. That was my point. I would have been funnier if I just said, you play Mad Gab? No? Okay, never mind. Um, but no, in Mad Gab, it's, it's a, I wrote that it's a pretty fun game, but really it's not. I hate it. Like, it's not a fun game at all. But essentially, you get this card with like random words on it, and the other person, or the other, like your team, knows what the phrase is, right? But you just see these random words, and if you say them, it, it says a different phrase that makes sense, Right? So you're saying the words quickly, and your teammates know the phrases, and they hear you're saying it, and they can hear you. You're so close. You're saying the sounds, but you have no idea what phrase it is. You have absolutely no idea what the phrase is. So you keep saying these words over and over, and they can hear it, but you can't. It's almost painful to figure out one of these phrases. This is, Solomon has kind of figured out that life is just sort of a bunch of those like cards, each of them just as painful to figure out as the last one. Right, every single one is difficult to figure out. And he's realized how unrealistic it is to think that he could possibly figure out all of them. Like he, can't, he knows he can't do that. So we're going to learn a new word tonight. Okay, we're going to learn a new word tonight. That word is immutability. Say it back. Immutability. Immutability. Huh? How are you spelling? I-M-M-U-T-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. That's how you spell it. Immutability. That word means unchanging, right? So God is immutable. He doesn't change at all. Now tonight we're going to see two basic principles, that our plans and our lives are mutable. They are changeable. Everything that we do can change on a whim. Everything that happens in our life can change on a whim. But God's plans are immutable. They are unchangeable. They never, they, they never uh, or God never misses I'm going to say that a few times tonight. He never screws up. He's always on time. He's always, he's always on plan, on script. Now, the fact that our, our plans are changeable, that they aren't perfect or they aren't immutable, that sounds really bad to us because we wish our plans were unchangeable, right? Like we wish in our lives that we could just kind of control everything about our lives, every single equation we could control. Our plans aren't changeable um, because we choose for them to be, right? We don't want them to shift. These, our plans are changeable because life circumstances dictate our, what happens, not us. We don't get to control everything that happens to us. We don't, everything that happens to us isn't something that we wanted to happen to us. And once we realize this, 
It makes it far easier for us to accept that we cannot control everything in our lives when we accept that we don't really have control. That every, the things in our life are going to constantly shift, that we're going to constantly go through seasons. Whenever we start to accept that, when we see that we don't exist in a sort of unchanging, always joyful season of our lives, we can start to rest in the fact that God's plan is unchanging, that it's unflinchingly good. That even as your life changes, even as like seasons of your life cause chaos in your life, you can come back to the fact that God's plan is unchanging, that he is not missed, that his timing is perfect, he is still behind everything. Because those seasons that we sort of experience are caused by change, and those seasons we, that we sometimes, there are going to be seasons that we sometimes love, sometimes don't love, but they're almost all surprising to us. We don't, always, we don't see changes in our life coming. They kind of come out of the blue. But to God, they did not come out of the blue. They were not surprising to him. He was and is and will be sovereign over every single thing at all times which is great news for us because whenever we're sitting here trying to trying with all our might to pronounce what's on the card, right? We're trying to figure that out with all of our might. God knows exactly where we're going. As we're trying to figure out where to go, what to do, we're stressed about, man, life is not going the way that I thought it was supposed to go. I don't know what's going to happen next. We're stressed. We sort of have this tunnel vision. God is over all of it, and he is good over all of it. He's perfectly on time over all of it. We get so focused on this season of life, whether it's good or bad, and we have this Tunnel vision, but God's vision is always on the big picture. So tonight, what Solomon's going to look at in a very simplified manner is that seasons change. There's a time for everything, is what he says. There's going to be seasons of joy, seasons of sadness, seasons of waiting. There's a time for everything, but God never changes in the midst of this. And his oversight of the lives of those who follow him never ceases. So let's look at this, starting, at this text, starting in verse 1, and read through verse 15. It says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. We're almost done. A time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So this is actually a poem that Solomon wrote, okay? And it has 28 of these different uh, seasons, 28, which is a lot, very repetitive whenever you read it out loud. Verse 9, it says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing, 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 nothing better for them to be than to enjoy, to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That this, that this is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is, already, that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful 
um, again, just to be together, be able to sing together and study scripture together, fellowship together. I just pray tonight as we start to dig into this text, Lord, that we would be undistracted by outside things, that each of us comes into this, this building in a different season of life, that we're all in different stages of our lives, and some of us are in joyful seasons, some of us are in sad seasons, some of us are in stressful seasons or difficult seasons. And I pray that as we leave tonight, that we would see that they all fall underneath your uh, purview, that everything that's happening to us, every season that we go through, as long as we're pursuing you, it is within your will for that to happen to us, and it's for our benefit. So I pray that you bless the rest of our time tonight, that we would just glorify you with everything that we do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what Solomon does first here is remind us that our life is a life of seasons. So he says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And I think for us in a general sense, that's kind of hard to reconcile. In our heart and our minds, we want to be happy and content 100% of the time. I even saw this thing on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, of this celebrity, and she said, she said, I don't want to be in a situation for even an hour when I'm not enjoying myself. And honestly, I kind of respect the mindset, because at least like she's like honest and says it. Like I think as a Christian, we would kind of like in our holier-than-thou nature, would be like, oh, I know that seasons come, I know that life's hard. But like every single person operates this way. We want to be 100% satisfied and content all the time. For example, Jason's not here tonight, so I get to throw him under the bus if I want to. Every time I drive in a car with Jason, my brother, every time I drive in a car, I usually let him listen to music because that's fine. But anytime I listen to music, the second that a song comes on, he does not want to listen to it in the slightest. He's like, oh my gosh, why are we listening to this? Every single time, without fail. Even like the fact, not, not to just hammer Jason, but even the fact that for like three minutes of his life, he'd listen to a different song, you know? It's just not, it's, oh, it's too much for him. He can't reconcile it. That's how we live our lives. That's why, that's why I respect what she said, because that's, that's our mindset, that's our nature, it's how we function. And it's not necessarily incorrectly. We were designed to be fully and 100% content all the time, but first sin obviously ruined that. Like Adam and Eve were perfectly content, 100% content. But the reality is that because of sin, we live in this sort of life of constantly changing seasons, and that's what this poem in verses 2 through 8 expresses. This is a text that we could probably spend months on if we wanted to. I'm in this thing right now where I want to preach through like longer texts because they have context. Like this is a whole text that should be read together. And then as I was studying, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much here that I'm not going to be able to preach through. There's so much, like you could literally do like a sermon on each line of this poem. But I don't want to get like distracted and caught up in all the minutia of it. I want to just get to the point. I want to get to the point of what Solomon is saying. That is that in this life, we will experience good and bad things, that there's an appropriate time for all of those things. In other words, we shouldn't see good things as appropriate things and bad things as inappropriate, bad things as things that are just like sort of a stopgap in our way to the good times, that we should see that every single season is given to us in good time, that God has given it to us for a purpose. We shouldn't only wait for good times, but recognize that God is sovereignly working in the difficult seasons. So scholars are really torn on this poem because it's really confusing. Solomon's always confusing because he's like really smart and he really flexes that he's really smart. He likes to show that. And a lot of the, for a lot of this this text, I've read like commentaries where guys are just like, I don't know, like they're trying to figure it out themselves. They don't know if it's like a positive thing. They don't know if he's being positive or if he's being negative. I read a lot of commentaries that mention this poem as an example of what they call the tyranny of time. So he's essentially saying, look at all this stuff that happens. All the stuff that happens, but it all falls within our birth and our death, and we can't control either one of them. 
We can't control any of the stuff that happens to us. Like he was, they were saying that it's pretty much him saying life is terrible again. That's to an extent. That, that is Solomon's MO. That's what he likes to say. But I think that it's, some see it more positively. Specifically, Philip Ryken. I'm going to quote him a few times. But he, said, he notes that Solomon's mentioned at the very beginning. He says, a time for every matter under the sun. Or under, the, under heaven, actually. That, that's a perfect segue. That sounds like under the sun, right? We've heard under the sun over and over again. And, this, and Riken thinks that the fact that he says under heaven shows that he's almost, his like, eyes have changed. Now he sees everything as, instead of under the sun where all this toil happens, he's saying under heaven, under God's framework. So he sees it more positively. We have to see it as a both and. On one hand, some seasons are great and others are not great. That's not fun sometimes. It's frustrating to have great seasons end, and it's amazing whenever bad seasons end. But it's so random, it happens so randomly that we can be frustrated at how pointless and chaotic it is. But on the other hand, Solomon is telling us, and will tell us again in a minute, that these seasons are given to us by God, and that God, what God does endures forever. What God does endures forever. So some of these things, we're not going to walk through all of them. And I thought about maybe putting something out there, like just going through each of them. I don't know if anyone would be interested in that, but because there's so much stuff, and even I was confused reading it sometimes. But some of these things are completely out of our control. So for instance, we don't control whenever we're born and when we die. Right? Like that's not, generally speaking, like we don't really have any impact on that. Like I didn't decide, like I wanted to be born in the 90s. That was not my choice. That just happened. We don't control that. Even whenever he says a time to weep or a time to mourn, to laugh and to dance. These are ones that we sort of, when we, have, when we feel how changeable our lives are, because we don't usually control whenever we weep, whenever we go into seasons of sadness. Usually they are blindside us, or even good seasons, even good things that happen. Sometimes they blindside us too, like we weren't expecting something. It's almost like whenever you like reach in your coat pocket and find like a $20 bill or something. You didn't expect that. That's great. Praise God. $20 that you didn't have before, but you didn't expect it to happen. We don't see disappointments coming. We don't see like deaths of, of, of loved ones coming. And sometimes it's frustrating because the season lasts longer than we want it to. These are seasons I think that God has given intentionally without our consent. <laughs> he didn't ask us. Like, he didn't ask Job, hey, are you good if I like completely vaporized everyone you love and took out all your flocks and sheep and cows and all this stuff? you mind? If, is this a good time? God does not ask us if it's a good time. These are seasons, there are seasons that, that God gives us without our consent, but that would require us to embrace them. They require us to see that God is still sovereign, that he's still good, that we can rest knowing that it's just a season. And then there's others that are given to us by God that require action from us. So like a time to plant and to pluck what's planted. And essentially what that one means, or he's talking about Jerusalem. He's saying there was, it was planted, but whenever it didn't produce any fruit whenever Jerusalem was kind of a dead plant, right? When it's not doing anything, there's a time to pluck that seed and throw it out. So obviously Israel goes into exile. There's a time to plant, there's a time to pluck, and there's a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. These are all things that sort of, that God gives us these situations in life or circumstances of life, and then it's our decision or our choice whether or not we're going to do what the Lord would have us do. So like to cast away is, one, is, a, is a really good one. These are the hardest ones because when we're seeking the Lord, whenever we see that it might be time to cast something away, to move on from something, 
time to, to keep, maybe to keep silent. Right? Whenever we see those things, we know that like casting away might hurt. We know that it's not going to be an easy process. When the Lord's calling us to a different season, we often want to stay in our current season because we know that pain comes whenever change happens. That's just kind of a reality of life. Even if, it's not, even if you're not transitioning to a bad season, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't hurt to, to leave where you were at previously. What we have to remember is that we are changing and that God is unchanging, that God sees the whole picture whenever we don't see the whole picture. So we have to be able to rest in that unchanging plan, to, to trust what he has for us in that season is better than what we want. So we know that the seasons are always changing. That's sort of the, the gist of those first eight verses, which I did not do it justice in that time, but I'm, I don't want to preach until 1130 tonight. Now we need to see how to be patient through those seasons and how to find assurance during those seasons. So look at verse 9. Where he says, he repeats what he said earlier when he was talking about, uh, I think it was actually last, last week when he was talking about toil and work. He says almost the same thing. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? He says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. But then he says, he says he has made everything beautiful in its time. Up until this point, Solomon has been a pretty objective observer. He mentions these seasons, but he doesn't really explain anything. He doesn't really give any observation or any thought towards them. He hasn't mentioned God yet. And he listed a bunch of seasons that are both positive and negative. So there's not, you can't really take anything from what Solomon said until he explains it. In verse 9, he starts to give those observations, but they also sort of leave us in the same state of like optimistic, but at the same time pessimistic. That's kind of a theme here as we start to unpack what Solomon's point is, we must come back to that central theme, that the pessimism of this life, which there will be pessimism, comes whenever we are trying to work within the framework of our own personal plans. And the optimism, the goodness that comes, is all, always comes whenever we are following the Lord, whenever we are submissive and submitting to His plans for us, the fact that He is unchangeable. That's whenever we can find happiness and joy whenever life is painful, is because we can, do, we, can, we can do just like we read a few weeks ago in Lamentations 3, whenever he says, and then I recalled this and had hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That we can remember in hard seasons, we can remember the Lord is unchanging. His plan is unchanging. This surprised me, but it did not surprise him. Therefore, I have hope that the Lord is unchanging. Where Solomon sees seasons, he also sees God in control of those seasons. A God who never changes. Now, I see verses 2 through 8 is a little bit more pessimistic because I think that anyone, I think that someone reading that in a difficult season would be more impacted by it than someone in a positive season because whenever you're in a, in a time, like a time of weeping or a time of mourning, where, where do you want to go? You want to get out, right? Like you want that to end. Whenever you're in a time of like laughing and dancing, which I don't know, I don't know a lot of people that just dance whenever they're super happy. But whenever you're in a time of like a joyful time in your life, no one's asking God to like, please send me back to weeping and mourning. So you might, it's easy for us to sort of read this in in a happy season of our lives, just kind of neglect it. But the mourner desires for the next season to come. So I think it's a little bit more relevant. It's just as relevant for the person to good season, but we're just not really looking back to go back. Our minds just aren't really there. But what Solomon shows us in the next few verses is how to be patient in those seasons, specifically during the difficult ones. Now, patience is rooted in verse 11. The fact 
And he has made everything beautiful in its, season, in its time. That's such a dynamic verse. It, th- it makes me think of the weeper in the night in Psalm 30, where he's weeping. He says, there's, 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 there's sadness in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Like that's the, the everything has beauty in its time, that we, even in the difficult times of our life, we know that there is joy coming. If we just keep pushing forward, there is joy to be had, that God is not going to leave us hanging. He tells us that everything, or that God has made everything beautiful in its time. That text pushes us to patience. It shows us, too, that there is beauty in the current season, that, that the, where he says he's made everything beautiful in his time. He's not saying just that whenever you get to the, night, the good again, when you move out of this season of difficulty and move into the good stuff again, that that's everything being made beautiful in his time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that everything, every season is beautiful in his time, that God has given it to you for a purpose. That's what makes the Christian life different than the non-Christian life. So all, all non-Christians, Christians alike, can try to make the most out of life, right? We can try to make the most of it. Even in difficult seasons, we can try to find things to find joy in to sort of get us through. But what separates the Christian from the non-Christian is that we can go back to that fact. We have purpose in it. That where the non-Christian might sit in a difficult season and just think, man, until I get out of this, there's no hope. The Christian can have hope. Bless you. <laughs> The Christian can have hope in that season, in the difficult times. Riker says that some people resent God's control over time and eternity. They would rather set their own agenda. But the Solomon of Ecclesiastes could see the beauty of God's sovereignty. Not only is there a time for everything, but God always does things at just the right time. Therefore, the preacher prays God for his perfect timing, or his beautiful timing. As seasons come and go, and as life changes every single day, we're often drawn to our own agenda. We're often drawn to what we want out of this life, to the will that we would have in our life. We're drawn to the season that we want to see, right? Whatever that thing is in the future. Whenever I was your guys' age, and I guess still to this day, but whenever I was, specifically when I was in college, I could not wait to get out of college. It was just not my thing. And once I stopped playing baseball, like it was just not really my thing at all. So I was so excited to get out of it. I was so excited to graduate. And like that was where my eyes were. I think everybody has something they want to get to in the future. Like, man, if I could just get there, everything would be fixed if I could just get there. But we believe that to be best even though we know that we can't see into that future. Like we can't see if that's actually going to do what we want it to do for us or if we're even going to get there in the first place. We should instead be drawn to God's immutable will, his unchanging will. That gives us patience to know that the season you're in is in good and perfect timing, even if it's hurtful. That's such an important thing to understand as a Christian, that the good, that the difficult and painful season is not just a stopgap for when you get to be happy again. That God has put it in your life for a reason. To know that every single season that you're in is in good and perfect timing is to sort of experience the the utter joy that comes whenever you reach that good season, right? You can see once you get to the finish line, or at least into that whatever season that is, you can see like, man, I'm so glad that I waited. I'm so glad that I trusted in the Lord. Because we know that it was God's good and perfect timing, and for us it has to be one or the other. We have to rely on God's timing or our timing. So, for instance, I made 
a huge mistake at work today. Huge mistake at work today. I was really stressed out all day because we had this meeting really early, um, and we had to cancel it because of another meeting that kind of came up. But it's like 8.30 in the morning. 9.30 is when it's supposed to happen. This meeting's supposed to happen. So my boss says, hey, can you take care of that? Can you email her? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Did not email her. Just like totally forgot. Like I'm really absent-minded sometimes. Like I just forget things sometimes. So my boss messages me at like 9.35 or 36 or something. He's like, hey, Kenzie's calling me. Did you cancel the meeting? I was like, oh, shoot. No, I did not. So I called her, apologized, because she's like waiting for us to be there. We just no-showed. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. It was so bad. And then my boss didn't like message me. On, um, we had, we used Slack. didn't message me for like the whole day. I was working from home. Didn't message me the whole day. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to come to work tomorrow and just get fired. I was like, I'm, I'm out. Like, cause you know, it's similar to like, if you're talking to someone, they don't text back, like your brain just starts to like go haywire as like why they're not texting back. It's the same thing. Like, all right, I guess I'm not gonna have a job tomorrow. Right. I, I completely screwed up that meeting. She's sitting there waiting for me to show up and I'm like, just no one there. That's never happened with God, ever. Not even just like in the most minuscule way. That every single thing that he has ordained has happened in a perfect timing. He's never no-showed anything. So listen, those, those things that we walk through, the, the times to mourn, the times to dance, the times to pluck or to cast away, God brings those to us in his perfect time. And we are passengers on this ride. And this text is ultimately about God's providential power, that things happen according to his schedule. He does so with intent. I was just talking to someone about this on Sunday night. Sometimes it's hard to understand why God has us in a certain season. It can feel super random. It can feel super random, and I really struggle with that. I really struggle with seasons of my life that were, that were super random, that didn't seem to bring any sort of benefit, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, what was, why why this happen? Like, I can't look at the situation and understand why God would do this, how I grew through this, and I really struggle with that. So I'm like, God, why would you do that to me? I can see, like, I know I'm supposed to grow through everything, but, like, if I, I can't see the benefit, I can't see the growth, what was the point? But that, what that mindset ultimately comes down to is whether or not I trust and what God says, and who Solomon says that God is, or if I believe in this sort of made-up God that's like out to get me. Do I trust in God's timing, or do I trust my own timing? Every single door that is opened or shut by God was shut for a reason, open for a reason, that God sees, but that we do not always see. It reminds me of Romans 9. In Romans 9, Paul says, who is the clay to talk back to the, to the potter. It's essentially saying, like, the clay is what's being molded. It's just object. Who is the clay to be like, you should mold me this way? You should do this this way. Like, it's an inanimate object. You obviously can't do that. Like, what is this, this clay to tell the potter how to mold it? God is that molder. He sees your entire life in front of you. You guys realize that? God does not just, like, we sometimes think that God, like, knows the future, right? It's like some genie or like some, he's like a crystal ball. He knows the future. That's not who God is. He exists outside of time in eternity. Where, like your future, God's there right now. Like we're, like we're not there, but he is there. So he, not, he doesn't just like know your future. He sees it. He's there. He's experiencing it. But we still doubt him. We still doubt his timing. So why? Why, why do we doubt his timing? I think the answer it's because life is hard sometimes. <laughs> Seasons are hard. Solomon is clearly in a tough season. If I read this as like a, 
I can, I can envision like a, an Instagram post with like a distant flower and then a really, really long caption with like this kind of, like what Solomon's been saying, like a time, a time to be born and a time to die. And he'd be like, man, she is in a really bad spot right now, right? So like that's where, like that's where Solomon is. He's like in a difficult season. We don't doubt because we want to doubt. We doubt because we, can, we can't see what God can see, and that brings pain. But we can trust in the assurance of God's unchangeability. Look at verse 14. It says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And he says, that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. If we could see what was in front of us, if we could see what God's will for us was, we would not change it. At least for the person following the Lord. Like we would not change it. Because it is what God would have for us is better than what even we think we want. I often think of the story of Jacob and Rachel. If you know the story of Jacob and Rachel, Jacob saw this girl that he was really into from the get-go and did what every single one of us would have done. He finds the biggest rock he could find to move and impress her and then kiss her. That's, that actually sounds more like something that like Michael Scott would do and like fail at. But like that seems like a normal response. His father, right, or, or uh, no, Rachel's father, says like, yeah, you can marry her. You work for me for seven years, you can marry her. So he works for seven years. Then on his wedding night, I don't know how the heck this happened. Like I really want to know. I want to, I kind of blame Jacob here, like, it was kind of his own fault. But somehow he gets married to the wrong woman. And he doesn't find out until, like, the next day. I'm like, what? What is happening? So he married Leah. Who, poor Leah gets just a really bad rap in the Bible. It says that she had, like, a lazy eye. It's really mean. Anyway, um, so he marries this woman, and he goes to, to their father. and is like, hey, you duped me. He's like, okay, fine. Work for seven more years, and you can marry Rachel. Fourteen years. I'm like, that's so hard. Imagine waiting 14 years for that. But then I sort of come back to it. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, he knew what he was waiting for, though. Like, as much as it stunk, he knew what it was waiting for. I've used this example before. I'm a Royals fan. Grew up watching terrible, awful baseball, just the worst baseball you can possibly imagine. So whenever I wanted the Royals to even just, like, win a playoff game or even go to the playoffs, have a winning record, whatever it might be, I didn't think, like, if I just wait for a few years. No, I was like, I don't know when the heck this is going to end. I don't know when they're ever going to be good. I didn't know when it was going to happen. At least Jacob knew, like, well, in seven more years, like even as awful as it was to have to wait seven more years, at least he knew that it was seven more years and he'd get what he wanted. So I think that Abraham might be a better example where God calls him out of the blue to just pick up and leave. He, says, he promises Isaac to him, a son, even though in his old age he never had a son. But he doesn't tell him when Isaac is going to be born. He waits 25 years, having no idea when this is going to happen. Waits 25 years. That's why God says, that's why God said that he counted Abraham as righteous, not because of anything Abraham did, but because, because Abraham believed. To have faith when you cannot see what's in front of you is different than having faith whenever you know what you're waiting for, when you know what's coming. When you know that like that season is hard, but I know that if I just get to this point, that it's going to get easier, it's going to get better. And the reality is that we don't know the end almost ever, like sometimes we do. I was pretty confident in college that I'd get through college in four years, even though I pushed it. But I was confident that like, after four years, I'd graduate. That's a rare time when I knew the end, but not, you don't usually know the end. 
So our only options are really to trust in God's timing or to trust in our own timing. Let me tell you that God's timing will always win. Will always win. We get that assurance in verse 14. I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to just listen to it and soak it in. It says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Whatever God does endures forever. How many things do you do that endures forever? Zero. Zero things. There's nothing. Zero. Literally nothing. But God endures forever. This fear that Solomon speaks of is reverence. We live in awe of the knowledge that God has never failed, that he has never screwed up. Michael Eaton, he's a theologian. He says that the earth is beset with futility and unreliability. Security must be found elsewhere in God's grace and sovereignty over it. In other words, when we recognize that there is no assurance to be found in anything else, when we realize that, whenever we can finally just trust in the Lord, that's when we'll find rest in every season. Verse 15 is just so... Fills, it should fill our heart with such joy because it says, or it means that even as we're in a hurry to get to our own will and frantically searching for other answers, the Lord is still seeking us. This says that God seeks what has been driven away. Just like with Israel, as, as they ran and rebelled against them, God was still seeking him. So in, in your, I don't want to say rebellion, in your pain of, of being in difficult seasons, as you look for other things to, to, fit, to fill you, as you look for your own answers, he, will, he is still working behind the scenes, even if it's against your own will. He knows what you're walking through. Even if he can't, or even if you don't know it or don't think that he knows, he knows. And God's watching over all of it. And that's our security. Riker said some, something interesting on this verse. He said that God will recover and restore what seems from our vantage point to be lost forever. That word forever is severe. Whenever seasons and hardships come, we think that they will never end. In the moment, we think that they will never end. There will never be joy again. That all is lost, but God is working even when we don't see it. So tonight as we close, we have to trust in God's unchanging timing, His unchanging grace and will. I'm about to read a really, really long quote. It's it's good, so it'll be worth it. There's a guy named Derek Kidner. He says, the trouble for us is not that life refuses to keep still, but that we see only a fraction of its movement and of its subtle, intricate design. Instead of changelessness, there's something better. He says, a a dynamic, divine purpose with its beginning and end. Instead of frozen perfection, there is the kaleidoscope movement of innumerable processes, each with its own character and its period of blossoming and ripening. Beautiful in its time and contributing to the, to, over, or to the overall masterpiece, which is the work of one creator. What he's saying is that while we want an unchanged, perfect life, where no, there's never any difficulties, never any change. While we want that, what's actually happening is God, in his holiness and his ability to know everything, is painting this like way more intricate design and creating this way more intricate and way better design of your life than you have for yourself. He finishes by saying this. He says, we are like the desperately nearsighted, inching their way along some great tapestry in an, event to take it, or an attempt to take it in. 
We see enough to recognize something of its quality, but the grand design escapes us. If we can never stand back far enough to view it as the creator does, whole and entire, from beginning to end, we will never be able to see what God's plan is. We'll never be able to see in its entirety. We won't have that view. We'll never be able to stand, like, we'll never be, like, beamed up into the sky and, like, see everything that God has laid out before us. We're not going to be able to understand it. We get to see bits and pieces, but not the whole thing. So we don't know why God brings us seasons of weeping or seasons to lose or to cast away. And when he brings us seasons of laughing and joy and dancing, we honestly don't care to look for God's plan in that because we're happy, right? We're happy that we're there. And honestly, those seasons are probably why it makes the harder ones so much more difficult. It's because we get into good seasons of our lives and we're like, okay, great. I'm going to sit here. I'm never going to leave here. I'm never going to consider anything else. And then a difficult season comes and we're not prepared for it. We're not ready for it. We, were, we had created such an idol in our heart of that joy, of that season, that when it's taken away, we have nothing. So I have two really quick application points for us tonight. First is to find joy in the season that you're in, and the second is to trust in God's timing. Trust in God's timing. Those are hard points. That's what Solomon is doing in verse 12, just like he did last week. Whenever he says, eat, drink, take pleasure in toil, he says, everything is beautiful in God's timing. So for the person who is currently in a great season of life, praise God for it. Seriously, like every single day that you're in it, praise God for it, worship him for it. Take note of how amazing the season is, especially if you've waited on that season. That's what makes it so much better is when you've waited for it and you get there and you're like, this is awesome. I, I've waited on God. I, I, was, I followed after him, chased after him, and it finally came to fruition. So praise him for it. But for the person that's in a tough season, worship God for it. It is given to us in due time. And everything is beautiful in God's timing. This season is purposeful and the Lord is working. And for both sides, trust in God's timing. There's a big difference between saying that and actually doing it. Huge difference. So if, we'll, if you could come up and if you guys would stand with me. The question is, do you trust in God's timing or don't you trust in God's timing? If you don't, I want to say something that might surprise you a little bit. It's okay. If you don't trust in God's time, that's totally fine. It's totally okay. It happens. Very few do. It's hard to do. But we must remember verse 15, that the Lord is seeking what is being driven away. So even as you struggle to trust in his timing, the Lord is working behind the scenes in ways that you cannot see. So since you know that, trust in him. Preach that to yourself every single day. As we respond, I want to, we're just going to get a time to be able to have a time to pray, to worship. If you're in a good season, like I said earlier, worship God for it. Praise him for his goodness and rejoice in this season. If you're in a bad season, come and pray. Trust in God. Trust that God's timing is 100% that he has never missed. If you're chasing after him, you will not miss the mark. You will not go after the wrong thing. If you're not a Christian, this, is, this message is especially good news. Because like I said earlier, for the non-believer, the sort of incomprehensibility of life, right, the, and our, the chaos of life in general is, is difficult to handle for the non-believer. Because like there's no purpose to it, but for the, for the Christian, there's purpose to it. You can make the most of life, but the non-believer does so in this void. He does so without any purpose. So in other words, you're trying to make your best or trying your best to make the most out of this life, but without any purpose 
in those tough seasons. The good news about following the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob that delivered on his promise is that he gives us purpose in every single season. That for Abraham, there was purpose in his waiting. And eventually he got to where he was going. So if you don't know Jesus tonight, please don't, don't live without purpose anymore. If you are a Christian, if you're in a difficult season, then trust in what Solomon is telling us tonight. That everything is beautiful in God's time. Everything. That we can rest in him every single time. He will not miss. Let's worship tonight.